Bretto after an extremely tough 2020 for many it is so exciting to announce our first in real life event for 2021 Oh, MP, it's an understatement to say we miss connecting with our tribe, but it makes the 2021 wellness breakthrough all the more exciting. If you're ready to rebound or to make a comeback and even make 2021 your best year yet, you are warmly invited to join Brett, myself, and an intimate group of like-minded souls at the wellness breakthrough from February 5 to 7. Imagine yourself tucked away in the serene Streslecki Ranges of Gippsland, Victoria. You don't have to cook, you don't have to clean or do anything domestic. We feed you, we accommodate you, we hold the space for you to create your own wellness breakthrough. Whether it's in your health, your relationships, work, life, wealth, spirit, any part of your life, you can expect major transformation at our most intimate event. We'd love for you to join us, but spaces are strictly limited to 20 attendees. And as we record this, we have less than 10 spaces left. For more info, to watch the highlights of previous years and to join us from February 5 to 7 in 2021, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the wholesome box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Good morning, good day, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are the Wellness Women Official on Instagram, uh, the Wellness Women on Facebook. Um, Ash is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.xo on Instagram. And make sure you've subscribed to us on whatever sort of platform that you're using to listen to this, including Spotify, um, and give us five-star ratings because we love that. 
it. It makes us feel good. Um, but it also keeps us in um, the top of iTunes, which is um, just a good ego boost, I think, really. But helps it spread the spread the word as well. Oh, stop it. We've never done this for ego. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know, but sometimes it does feel nice when we're like, oh, cool, oh. we're still, we're still, we still got it. <laughs> yeah, well, considering we started this, it's just, uh, you know, a hobby to have a bit of fun and to realize that, you know, both of us, we're not a big fan of public speaking, but we're like, yeah, we'll just start recording and see what happens. So I think we've evolved a bit, but, um, you know, look, welcome to all our new listeners as well. We've had a little look and there's clearly a whole lot of bunch of new, new listeners, new ears out there. So if that's you, thank you so much for joining us. We hope, uh, you know, don't go back too far. I had someone the other day talk to me about something and I was like, where'd you hear that? She goes, you told us that. I was like, when was that from? <laughs> and it was like, oh, you know, four, four years ago. I'm like, no, a few updates since then. So, you know, I always say to people, you know, start where you are today and work backwards. Don't go back to number one and work forward. So, <laughs> oh, because I am certain that our very early podcast episodes are dreadful. Like I know <laughs> that the information is so good because how much research and time and effort do we put into those sort of early, um, early podcasts? But I think, um, it took a while for us to get our chemistry right and everything else as well, Ash. Um, I reckon the ones in the middle, we were just on absolute fire. Like some of the really hard-hitting, um, very hormone-heavy, um, research-heavy topics, I reckon that that was our real sweet spot. Um, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. But you, we can't rehash the same topic over oh, no. and over and over. <laughs> I'd no. love, to, love to go talking about, you know, positive ovarian syndrome again. And, uh, but yeah, I think we've already done that two times plus a rehash. So I'm like, oh, there's only so many times we can talk about this. So we try and, uh, you know, we kind of try and find new topics that uh, come into our world because usually it's conversations with clients. And that's exactly how this topic uh, today has come about was uh, Andrea had, uh, had an interesting conversation with one of her clients and it was like, Oh, say what? That's interesting. And when she told me, I was like, what is that? I actually wasn't even sure I've ever heard of it. Um, I could definitely classify it based on, you know, just behavior, but I didn't know it had its own DSM-5 classification. So I was like, cool, let's talk about it. So what we're talking about tonight is night eating syndrome, um, acronym NES. So Andrew, tell us how we got into this topic. Oh, yes. And we always love to keep you all hanging about, oh, what we're going to talk about and, um, you know, that big that big build up to it. So, one of my patients and also one of my very, very dear friends of um, many years ago were, told me that they were um, nighttime eating. And I thought, okay, so we all do that. Lots of us love to binge after dinners with desserts and all of those sorts of things. And particularly um, if there's certain behavior patterns going on or we're sleep deprived or we're in certain stages of our cycle, we will consume more of our calories at night than we will at sort of other parts of the day. But what this um, patient's version of um, this sort of night eating definitely fell into something a little bit more into the nighttime eating syndrome or night eating syndrome because what they were doing is they were getting up during the night from sleep. They were waking up, um, starving, needing to eat, or they were waking up finding themselves eating. So they essentially either slept, walked, to the fridge or the or the cupboard or whatever it um, might be, and woke up mid feeding their face full of chips or <laughs> or something along those lines, and it is certainly um, a classifiable um, eating condition or eating disorder, 
which many patients may have something sort of somewhere along this spectrum. Um, and I know that there's going to be varying degrees of this, um, but the actual night eating syndrome classification usually means that you will have like morning appetite suppression. So you won't necessarily be eating for the first half of the day, but this is different to say intermittent fasting. This is absolutely no appetite whatsoever. Whereas you get this increased appetite surge at night um, and you consume more than 25% of your total calories above and beyond um, that, that you have sort of after your evening meal. Um, and this is called eating hyperphagia. So it's this um, huge excessive amount of food intake that you're eating even after dinner. Often there'll be insomnia associated with it as well. So you might have four to five nights of insomnia a week, but you'll be having that um, that waking and eating at least twice a week. So you kind of need those classifications to fall into the actual sort of um, DSM um, or, you know, sort of diagnosable syndrome. But I know that a lot of our patients do tend to eat a lot more at night tend to go for, you know, obviously the more calorie dense, not necessarily nutrient dense foods at night as well. And um, particularly women when they are um, sleep deprived, this will be a really tricky one as well. And if you can hear that scratching in the background, it's because Loki has lost a ball under my bookcase and is trying to dig for it. I'm trying to stop him by not making noise. I'm like, ah, puppy, shh. <laughs> How about you rescue, rescue the ball, rescue the puppy? I'll, uh, so I guess, you know, this is something where we talk about, um, you know, I guess a lot of people feel like grazing, nibbling, snacking. That's a pretty, pretty normal thing to do, um, particularly, you know, in some households and it's almost like cultural, like you have dinner and then you, you have a little nightcap and have a little drink and have a little bit more food before bedtime. Um, a lot of people will say actually that little little meal before bed makes them feel quite sleepy and um, helps them fall asleep. And I think, you know, that's another thing that comes into it, that uh, a lot of behavior around food can be emotional eating. So sometimes at night it's actually – used as a numbing agent people uh, will consume food food and calories just kind of you know ignore other stuff or just to you know that hand-to-mouth action that can be so habitual i was smiling when we talked about this because the first thing that came to my personal experience you know mind about this was actually um an episode of bananas in pajamas believe it or not my my son was watching and it was it was, it was a ridiculous episode with b1b2 trying to work out where their fruit jelly had gone and it was morgan was sleepwalking and eating the fruit jelly and he couldn't remember it. He didn't know he was doing it, and they uh, and they caught him in the act. And you know the thing that was like, don't wake him up because he'll freak out because you know <laughs> he won't know that he's doing it because he's sleepwalking. So I didn't realize that he actually had you know a diagnosable condition. I, I thought it was just a funny story, but you know they were putting a bit of real real life into bananas pajamas there. So <laughs> um, you know you're a mum to a uh, a little one when yeah. yeah to a toddler when. <laughs> As soon as I say, okay, we're going to cover nighttime eating syndrome tonight, you go straight to bananas in pyjamas. I love it. <laughs> oh, well, it just made me smile because I'm like, oh, I've seen something about this recently. And when my brain was racking that, oh, I've seen something about this recently. And then when I realized it was bananas pyjamas, I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> there is nothing academic about that. <laughs> um, Ash has got this big cringe factor look on her face oh, at the moment. Um, but, well, hey, whatever associations you need yep, to make yep. um, to, to draw those conclusions, right? Um, 
Um, I really think after sort of having a good understanding of what this sort of picture looks like, I think this comes down to a maladaptive stress and metabolic response. And I think the two of them are very much interlinked. Um, I think that it seems that people are waking because they're hungry. So it's... It's not just a habitual thing. I do think that there is some sort of ghrelin um, issue. So, ghrelin is our hunger hormone um, and I think it's peaking too late at night. So, I think that there's um, an imbalance or um, just a disordered circadian rhythm with that too. Um, so, this is like this that ghrelin sort of perpetuated uh, hunger. And people often report that when they do have night eating syndrome is they'll find themselves eating like carbohydrates hydrates, right? Mm-hmm. So, something that would naturally boost some sort of serotonin response, which would help with a little bit of relaxation, probably a bit of satiation, and maybe help them get back off to sleep as well. Um, and I think that that kind of makes sense in terms of some of those behavioral activities. So, we've got this issue of elevated ghrelin. So, we've got a hunger, hunger hormones that are peaking at night at the wrong time, which also means that it's not having that um, inhibitory effect from leptin. So, I think that there's probably a little bit of leptin resistance going on as well. And remember that leptin is our satiation hormone. So, this is what signals to our brain to tell us that we're full. So, I think that there's a mismatch of what's going on there. Um, and possibly, you know, maybe a bit of insulin resistance as well along the way, just because it just, you know, that hunger that's happening that shouldn't be at that time of the day. Um, I don't know. This is kind of my, my theories, my working theories on this right now. Yeah, interestingly, the research suggests as well that um, a lot of it, it can be attributed to associations around food deprivation. So, people who are doing calorie cutting programs and they've really minimized their caloric intake during the daytime, um, by the time they get to, you know, uh, mid to late afternoon, they have not achieved the calorie requirements their body actually needs for that day. So, when it comes to early evening and nighttime, all of a sudden that that body kicks in and it's like, nope, you're not going to bed starving. Um, so, you know, really ramps up that, that need for eating. And of course, that can set up again the emotional states, you know, associated with this eating pattern. And that's the whole idea of like, I've been really, really good all day. And then, you know, crash and burn and having this sort of overeating, binge night eating, going to bed feeling guilty, you know, overfull, um, unhappy about the choices. And then next day committing to this um, perfection again of this under nourished body, you know, going back to the whole, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. So interestingly, yeah, I think it's certainly behavioral as well, you know, that we can set ourselves up for cycles and patterns like this. So, you know, if you've noticed yourself um, doing something like a a low calorie uh, eating program and then finding it by nighttime, you're starving, you know, you might realize they're actually laying down a whole lot of extra calories in that evening meal because uh, you've really just been denying the, the baseline needs your body had throughout the day. So I'm not not a big fan of the low calorie, you know, diets and programs. Um, I tend to find that starvation model does not work for most people, um, and especially most women don't do too well with that. And I think that also could be another reason why it sets up some disordered um, eating behaviors or, or, you know, associations around food. So there's another, you know, kind of an emotional link to there. And of course, we all know that um, if there's any concerns related to mental health, potential things like depression, um, that low mood, low uh, energy in the mornings can often be something that you drag out of bed by mid-morning and lunchtime 
and then by the afternoon, obviously catching up again with that calorie intake. So, of course, again, setting up the chances of increasing that likelihood of night eating. So, I guess it's just being identifying, you know, what, what are the triggers? Um, it seems as though if it is to be classified in a eating disorder, and, you know, that, that term is very broad, so don't consider it, you know, in uh, a scenario necessarily that, oh, something's wrong and broken. It just means uh, disordered eating, I think, is probably a way of saying it, that yeah. it's abnormal programs in terms of relationships to food and what we consume. So I think if we consider it, you know, disordered eating, then we can start to look at some strategies of how could we um, regain some, you know, control or get those hormones back in balance, get the mental emotional mm. um, support needed to to eliminate the emotional crutch that we're using for that eating so yeah, just some just some ideas around that. I think I, I definitely agree with your hormonal imbalance stuff, though. I mean, what a massive trigger that would be to have you know a, a big sort of insulin handling issue. I mean, as if you're not going to want to have night snacks. Mm. Yeah, and Ash, um, I think a really important hormone that we haven't touched on when it comes to like this sleep kind of um, well, I guess the the night eating syndrome is melatonin because. Mm-hmm. Um, what the research shows is that patients who do have this um, night eating syndrome tend to have melatonin levels that aren't as high as well. And obviously this is our sleep hormone. This is what helps us get into that proper um, restorative sleep that we need. So this makes me really suspicious of the fact that cortisol is probably elevated for these patients at night, which mm. is actually inhibiting um, that actual sleep um, and I guess sedation effect that melatonin would have on someone overnight as well um so this is why i do think it's this maladaptive stress response that's probably causing this elevated cortisol and with that probably elevated insulin as well and when um insulin is high it's messing with our leptin too um i think another thing that is really important is also just sugar intake because we know that um, sugar blocks leptin at the brain. Um, So uh, when we are eating inappropriately as well or having way too much sugar or way too much refined carbohydrates, I think that um, the flow-on effect from that may be this sort of night eating um, sort of tendencies as well. Really interesting. I think that uh, one of the big things with regards to the night eating, though, you know, as you said, that sort of maladaptive stress response, um, again, that whole idea of getting back to root cause, mm-hmm. you know, what is the root cause of that? Uh, sometimes it's easy to identify, you know, work stress, high stress job, you know, potentially relationship issues, like anything that is really big out there and in the open. But as we know, a lot of, you know, disordered eating and uh, patterns, I guess you'd say, there are a lot of things that are deep down. You know, the root cause is not always just on the surface there to scratch. You know, sometimes it has to be, you know, over time, uh, identifying underlying uh, concerns. It may be all the way down to, you know, root cause being upbringings, you know, how we were raised around our parents, what their eating patterns were like, self-esteem, mm-hmm. self-image, self-worth. Like there's a lot of layers to that that uh, may need to come through. So sometimes one of the best, you know, approaches to this, whilst there's practical approaches, um, it may involve uh, some counselling, you know, just ways to, to dive down and just find out, I wonder why I am doing that. Um, if it is something you consider a cons- you know concern or something you want to change, but number one thing is you have to want to change first. So you know, for me, anytime someone says, uh, "Oh, this is this," oh, my one of my big questions is, "Is that a problem for you?" 
because I want to know, you know, do you see that a problem as a problem yet? Because it doesn't sound good to me, but, you know, does, and if they dismiss it and say, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine, okay, so not yet is a problem. So until you're ready to identify uh, something as a problem, it won't be a way you'll be able to solve it until you really kind of get down to the, the root cause and say, hey, yep, I'm not okay with this. This is not what I want. I do want to change. Great. There's your step one. And I know that um, from a conventional medical standpoint, um, that cognitive behavioral therapy is certainly, um, excuse me, is certainly um, one of the first point of calls for treatment with this. And then the next is like pharmacological intervention using SSRIs, which are essentially antidepressants um, and have been shown in small studies to um, be beneficial. However, if we can address, like, I, I still don't think that that's addressing sort of root cause as we're always talking about, like just using antidepressants or SSRIs to affect, um, you know, possible um, disordered eating um, late at night. If we can get to that root cause and hopefully those won't be required in the first place. And I think that there's many, many steps to get to before you kind of get to that point. Um I, my thoughts are always, first of all, what are our targeted lifestyle changes that we can employ, um, to fix this? And I think absolutely, um, the stress reduction, Ash, like you were talking about. So actually like addressing, you know, doing that navel gazing and actually seeing what actually has to shift and change rather than just that groundhog day of, um, just succumbing to, the day-to-day stresses that you're so used to all the time. Um, the next thing I would suggest is uh, switch the nighttime routine. So when we do the same things over and over again, we're hardwiring that into our neurology and our brain so that our fallback system or our behaviours from whatever those triggers are going to be are always going to be the same thing. So if we change that routine at night, then possibly – um, those like automatic responses might be able to be a little bit different as well. Um, one thing that can help to lift serotonin in the first place is just light exposure early in the morning. So when you get up within sort of 15 minutes of waking, try and get outside in the sun as quickly as you can. This is definitely a condition where I would never recommend intermittent fasting because we want that, um, you know, that consistent balance throughout the day. And remember that food intake um, and our microbiota is partially what's regulating our circadian rhythm. So if one of the underlying features of night eating syndrome is that insomnia that's driving, um, you know, everything that's going on, then if we can regulate that circadian rhythm really effectively and possibly that might be with eating breakfast and eating a really decent breakfast, then I think that that's certainly worthwhile, um, you know, looking into um, and giving that a try. Um, And obviously sleep is critical. So those really good sleep hygiene things that we harp on about day in and day out. Um, So I I think those are some behavioral things. Ash, have you got anything else? Oh, it was reading. I was reading an interesting article. The specialist just talking about the, um, like you said, the neurobehavioral or neurocognitive aspects of this. And um, his breakdown process, he said that he works on involving a change um, around the meaning that a person connects to with food. Mm-hmm. So, what, you know, what is food for? Food is sustenance, food is support, food is, you know, whether it be comfort, like the associations with that food. Um, and you just, mentioning how you know the experiences are very unique and often founded in childhood and that that's 
that relationship in childhood often connecting to the mother, usually the first person who gives them the food. Um, and so, you know, he dives into like relationship levels around food and the earliest introduction of food and who provided that food. And I was like, that's super interesting. And he associates that with a lot of um, repressed, you know, things like anger, frustrations and stuff like that, that we'll eat our way through a problem rather than being being open to the possibility we may need to actually address that problem head on. And, um, yeah, so he, he suggests that a lot of his treatment um, success can be attributed to diving down into that underlying food association. I thought that was really interesting. So, uh, yeah, every one of us knows how much we've, you know, eaten a block of chocolate when we're so stressed. Or uh, So we clearly have this ability to use food as a, a method to create um, a feeling or an emotion or to suppress a feeling or emotion. So, um, yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, if that's uh, something to do, then that's where that CBT, that cognitive behavioral therapy and um, counseling support could be really helpful to just get down to that root cause on a, on a psychological level. Um, oh, but, I love you know, that. eat your way through a problem. That's really stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, yeah. I think we've all done it. Like anyone who ever said exams for anything remembers how much they consumed leading up to that exam. It's like sitting there with all this food on your desk going, did I just eat all that? Oh my God, keep studying. <laughs> yes. Oh, totally. Um, and I think that the next step um, for us is always like, you know, nutritional medicine. So um, if we're Absolutely. eating breakfast, let's make sure. Um, so we're going to inc- include that, obviously making sure we've got lots of really good quality protein with each meal because it is the most satiating macronutrient we can have. Um, I'm a really big fan of people having starch at night, um, particularly things like sweet potato and pumpkin um, because it helps to balance blood sugar levels really well um, overnight. And I also just love starchy veggies because um, those nutrients really help um, lift progesterone and help with ovulation as well. Um, so I'm totally segueing out of what we're supposed to be talking about tonight. But, um, for example, for dinner, making sure that it's a really well-balanced, um, protein-rich, lots of fiber, lots of really good um, quality veggies and good fat. So you've got balance from all your macronutrients there so that hopefully you will have that satiation from that meal. Um, again, ditching the sugar because we know that messes with leptin, um, which is not going to tell our brain that we're full, that we've had enough to eat, which means that those hunger hormones are going to be peaking later on again. Um, I think that that's pretty simple stuff in terms of food, really. Yeah, absolutely. And making sure that um, the, I think as well, it looks as though from, you know, me, the discussions and some of the research we're reading is how irregular the patterns of eating are. So potentially setting up a, a timing, a pattern uh, to make sure that, you know, three meals a day, maybe set the clock. So you're actually eating on a timeline. So it starts to regulate that, uh, that, you know, digestive pattern because, a lot of the conversations that I'd sort of read there and some discussions around the possibilities of underlying cause are related to often like missed meals. Mm-hmm. So this idea that you're you know, busy, busy, busy through the day, skip breakfast on the way to work, don't get to you know eat your first meal until 2 o'clock in the afternoon after a business meeting at lunch, like just all that kind of conversation that there's often associations with high drivers, very busy people, associations with that stress response, um, disordered timelines of eating, so not actually establishing 
you know, a breakfast, lunch, dinner, like you said, you know, filled with the appropriate amounts of protein, carbohydrates and fats for satiation. So exactly as I said, so the timing of those meals seems to be actually something as well that could be utilized to help to reverse the um, the chemistry that can drive the night eating as well. Um, hey, ladies, if any of you have experienced this or do experience this, we'd really be interested in, I guess, your personal experiences here because mm. we've sort of scratched the surface tonight um, and I think it's probably a very simple description of a, a more complex um, concern because it's still quite unknown. This is why we're having a chat about it today because when you look into it, there's not a whole lot of information. There's not a whole lot of research compared to some of the topics we have looked into. So it shows mm. that it's still something that's emerging and evolving. So for those people who do have it, I can only imagine you might feel a bit lonely because if there's not a whole lot of research on the internet, it means it's not well well understood or not uh, well addressed and it's clearly not something that is commonly discussed because here I am in all my years of <laughs> health work still going, what is that? Is that actually a thing? Uh, so, yeah. you know, I just thought it was a combination of just, you know, snacking and binging at night. I, I didn't realise it was actually a whole overlay of multiple different factors and symptoms that can be associated with it. So it's a, I guess it's a lot more serious than I probably would have attributed to just the idea of having a snack after dinner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all the things that we've talked about, like the kind of personality traits or the hormonal stuff and everything that kind of goes into this is the um, – the, the sort of patient that's inspired this is, and my friend, this is them to an absolute T. Like when I first started seeing them as a patient, they had, um, they were certainly doing this and um, had mentioned this to me and then we'd put some things in place and it really improved. And now they have three kids under five and a super stressful job and um, definitely over-exercises and everything else. So you can see how um, all the whole cascade of those things, it's like the perfect formula to, um, you know, for this to rear its ugly head again. Now, in terms of nutritional medicine, um, the, my first sort of go-tos for something like this would be those insulin sensitizing things just to help to balance um, some of those those hormones. And I do like using berberine for short periods of time because um, it's comparable and sort of outperforms metformin when it comes to improving insulin sensitivity, which I think is amazing. Um, other herbs that are used commonly are like chromium and gymnema. Um, B vitamins are essential, magnesium and cinnamon as well um, would sort of just be my go-tos as well if you're wanting a little bit of um, something to think about in that aspect. Cool. And exercise. I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, always. I always just think as soon as you throw exercise in there, it helps to you know, increase um, innate programs, you know, our innate circadia, our you know, mitochondrial function, our digestion, our, you know, food choices. I really think that uh, often overlooked is the ability to give ourselves the time and space to exercise appropriately. Um, for all those benefits that come from it. So I, I think that most people know if they're not exercising well or often enough, their sleep cycles and sleep patterns go out. So I think that uh, sometimes a lack of physical activity could drive that sedentary lifestyle driving in this uh, eating eating profile. So another thought to, to kind of throw in the ideas of how do we help, you know, how do I help myself if I'm experiencing this or how do I help someone I know if they've mentioned something like this? Um, always in nature first, you know, try and do the non-pharmacological intervention first because uh, you can always step it up and, you know, go there if you need to. But uh, like you've said with your, your patient, you managed to get such great outcomes just by, you know, initiating lifestyle changes and uh, self-awareness. So cool. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Okay, so ladies, as Ash, Ash mentioned earlier, if you do have experience with, with this, we would love to hear from you um, what things have and haven't worked in your case um, because we know that there's going to be stacks of you who are listening who may not fit the exact DCM, DSM sorry, criteria but know that um, this snacking and maybe binging later at night is a problem for you. Uh, so ladies, as always, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. Uh, We are raising the bar for women's health and until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.